You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. This is Andrew. Today, Paul is still out doing uh, God's work in the turkey world. So, um, real quick, we will get you an introduction and then on your way. So, I'm recording this and it is October 27th. And um, so, on the network, we, we send all of our stuff in and it gets uploaded and by Josh uh, from the Wisconsin Sportsman. Josh is going to be heading out on his rutcation here soon. So it's uh, one of those things that we really, we got to give it to him early. And so the shows you're going to listen to both, uh, what would it be like November 2nd and the following week, these are kind of pre-recorded and the intros will not be super up to up to date on that but either way real quick we just want to give a thanks to our partners in go wild uh time to go wild.com social media online shop all kinds of stuff i'm telling you if you are in need of anything check there first their prices are going to be uh as low as anywhere you'll find but they'll also uh, you know you've got points and different things you can you can pick up there um, and great network, great place to be. So go wild. Um, half rack. Thanks to the guys at half rack meat lug time coming up. It's warm right now, but, uh, as we release this, it's probably going to be really cold. So, uh, based on the weather and Ohio outdoors, 15, will be your code there. So thank you very much to the guys at half rack, uh, black gate hunting gear. Those are the cameras that we're running which are fantastic. I wish I could have them on every property that I uh, hang cameras at just from the, the detail and the clarity of the pictures. It's, it's amazing. Um, Midwest Gunworks. Okay. Blackgate O2 podcast will save you 10%. That's your code O2 podcast. Uh, Midwest Gunworks. The code there is Ohio outdoors five to save you 5% as you're getting your guns ready for gun season if you find something you need, even sling, uh, any anything uh, that you might need, parts, that's where you should be looking for your firearm needs. Great customer service. Can't say enough good stuff about them. The stuff that we've purchased through them has been fabulous. So um, xvisionoptics.com. These are your thermal and night vision guys. Uh, it's super fun. Can't wait to get back into the, the coyote realm here soon and all that evening uh, night hunting it just changes the game so uh, timber ninja outdoors these are the one of our newer partners working with them on the saddles and uh, I was out last night that saddle is so stinking comfortable I've got the nano super comfortable super light and I had somebody ask me, you know, you sit in the tree for four or five hours, like how, how bad is it? And I'm like, it's not bad at all. Like don't even really realize I was sitting up there. Uh, and then obviously they've got their sticks. Everything about them is super cutting edge, even down to the tree tether. Um, I had a different tree tether that I had been using, swapped in a timber ninja one. It was just lighter, smaller did the job it was perfect and if that's if you're into the mobile world and really out there trying to cut ounces and be efficient 
definitely something to look into. So um, the code there is OHIO, Ohio, um, for free shipping. Deer nuts, uh, it's not crazy to think you'll get more deer this year. It's not insane to believe that a 12 point buck will soon be smiling at you from over the fireplace. It is, however, nuts, deer nuts. The savory acorn flavored attractant deer can't resist. Made with advanced extrusion technology, they're easier to eat and harder to dissolve in rain. Grab some nuts at getdeernuts.com slash Ohio. While there, check out some cool merch like the No Nuts, No Glory truck decals and more. That's getdeernuts.com slash Ohio. Deer nuts, you could try hunting without them, but well, you'd be nuts. Um, around the state, I don't have a ton of information. I know on November 11th, there is some Veterans Day uh, events. Let me see if I find that email real quick. Veterans can shoot free at Ohio's public ranges on November 11th. So thank you to the vets and get out and take a... Um, Take advantage of that. ODNR is hosting a veterans archery hunt at Selesky State Forest. Uh, I'm guessing that that will be, I don't have a date on here, but ODNR, ohiodnr.gov for more information there. And a little bit about today's show. So this week we are talking to Jamie and Ev of Code of Silence, and they are based out of uh, Nebraska. It's a pretty interesting conversation. Code of Silence is a, a clothing manufacturer that um, a brand that they they make clothes that are really geared for hunting in the cold weather. So as this releases, I think our temperatures in Ohio will be plummeting and really start to feel that that cold weather. Um, that bite that you get right when the whole goal is to stay comfortable in the stand the longer you can be out there the better um, the more comfortable you can be the better keep those joints warm all that kind of stuff and uh, you know we didn't want to do this as some kind of commercial uh, for any brand but the it was interesting in, in talking with them because they've got a lot of experience hunting cold weather out in Nebraska uh, I don't know much about Nebraska. I was trying to learn as we go. We talked about hunting, you know, the different um, kind of habitat types they have out there, but also uh, how to handle cold weather and moisture management. And honestly, it doesn't matter what brand clothes you're running. That has got to be a key. Uh, if you're wet in the cold, it's miserable, right? I think we've all been there at some point. Uh, I still struggle with that more more than anything because i won't slow down just to get into the woods uh, trying to like rush out there but uh very interesting jamie uh on the show she's actually an ohio native so she comes from dublin uh outside of columbus so that was an interesting connection and she was excited to cop on and talk to the ohio uh, podcast and uh, i think you guys will enjoy it as uh this rolls out we are entering the best couple weeks of the hunting season good luck out there i know there's a lot of big deer going down um next week's episode we're going to talk to some guys that had some firsts as far as their first uh, bucks or archery deer and as you guys are are taking your harvest please tag us share it with us on on um, any of the social media instagram it's the.o2.podcast on go wild we are o2 podcast website is the o2 podcast.com but let us know what you guys are doing and we will be happy to get back on there um i'm trying to think man and paul and i will be back together um and recording you'll we'll get you some content from the deer camp up in michigan as well as um some other interesting guests here coming up but Good luck in the woods. Stay safe. And uh, yeah, let us know what, what's happening out there. Take care. Okay, so this morning um, I'm joined with Jamie and Ev from Code of Silence, right? Uh, these are, we got cooked up here through um, Glenn, uh, Glenn, right? And, and talk to you guys a little bit about hunting Nebraska. Uh, this is 
a little bit outside of the normal Ohio realm, but I think there's a lot of crossover. And in our conversation there, Jamie, we figured out that you are from Ohio. Uh, so you definitely have connection there. Uh, how are you guys doing this morning? Doing awesome. Doing good. Doing good. So we're having this conversation. It's October 26th. And you said that you guys are just getting hit with a cold front, right? Yeah, we are. Um, you know, right, right here is the ruts just starting to kick in and everybody's ready to get in the field. And, but it's uh, more importantly, I mean, it's a cold front, but it, we came out of 85 degrees, I want to say last week yeah. and, you know, just not even quite football type weather yet. And so now we're going to 16 degrees, I think tonight. Um, so We'll be breaking ice in the morning, so it's quite a quite a change. But bipolar weather, right? Uh, Ohio's good for, good for that too. Um, which is funny because so you guys are west of us, and then as this will release in about I think about a week, uh, we'll be getting hit with I don't know if it's the same cold front, but definitely a cold front. Uh, according to the weather, we're going to be in the low twenties in central Ohio, which that's pretty cold for at least recent history. I mean, the last couple of ruts. For you know, the first week or two of November, it seems like it's seventy degrees. Everybody's complaining it's too hot. So, um, definitely refreshing for the deer hunter. I'm sure there's a lot of other people that are not ready for it, but yeah. it's, it's refreshing for a cold weather uh, camo company too. Mm. Yes, Andrew. I'm, selfishly, it's like it's pretty hard to sell uh, clothing that works for you know ten, fifteen, twenty degrees when it's eighty five out. So we'll, yeah. we'll take it from a, a business side of things for sure. And it's definitely football weather. And you guys know stuff about football out there in, in Cornhusker world, right? And we, we, we pride ourselves in football over here in Ohio. So we do. We, we've noticed that. Yeah. 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 Uh, you had yeah. to bring it up. I mean, yep. had to bring it up in this era. Yeah. So, so it's good. We, we probably, you know, we'd have our chest stuck out a little bit more, but we'll hope. That's all right. Huskers are, are kind of turning north here. So I, I hope anyway. I hope so. so. Yeah. We can we can all just agree that we don't like the state up north and uh, go from there. So accurate. There, you yeah. go. there we go. Yeah. So, well, do you guys want to give me a rundown, like or a real quick kind of your background and and what you you know passions and how you got into this industry? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, you wanna... Mine is weird. Mine's kind of a weird story. Like I mentioned, I'm I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. Um, had zero experience hunting. Grew up in the suburbs. And um, after I graduated from Ohio State, go Bucks, right? Yeah. I moved out oh, west to, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do that often, especially this time of year. But um, I had zero knowledge, really zero interest in hunting until I moved out west. And I moved out west. Cattle actually brought me out west. Um, I was more focused on bovine nutrition and reproduction. And then met my husband out here in Nebraska and he is an avid bow hunter. So he's the one who got me um, at least exposed to the outdoor lifestyle. And now that's a huge part of my life, our life together um, out here in Nebraska. So we're in Western Nebraska uh, in the Sydney area and Cabela's headquarters is in Sydney. Okay. So that was a really cool opportunity for me to get my foot in the door. Um, you know, started lower on the totem pole. I actually started as a packer in the distribution center <laughs> and then uh, met Ev through an event uh, as we were talking through products. And then uh, Ev brought me over into the, the corporate um, building and then worked in uh, merchandising and product development for the rest of my career at Cabela's. So. Oh, cool. Very good. So were, you were on ag campus then? And if you were doing Boeing? Oh yeah, man. That's, that's where I spent way too much time. So yeah. I can uh, spend a lot of time there. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, as Jamie mentioned, we we met at Cabela's uh, about ten years ago. Actually, I uh, I had been at Cabela's at that point, probably close to uh, twenty years, uh, maybe a little longer than actually. So I started out of college. I uh, had a biology degree, and they had an opening for an aquarium keeper in their new retail store. Cabela's was opening in Kearney, Nebraska, way back in '87. <laughs> um, so. Do you want to know how old I was in 87 or is that, no, we shouldn't go there. Okay. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I was only, I, I graduated from high school when I was nine and college when I was 11. So. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> there <Yeah>. you go. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, kind of get my foot in the door through that, that position. And, uh, for college, it was, it was, uh, 
probably not what I aspired to do, but Cabela's had a lot to do with where my love of uh, the outdoors was was headed. So, so hired down at a neat time at Cabela's. Uh, there's never been a non non neat time, but you know back then it was just uh, it was real small company and um, you know so I and I moved anyway. So that was in Kearney, Nebraska. I moved to Sydney soon after that. When I come to work every day, I'd see Jim Cabela and Dick Cabela and Mary Cabela, and I mean we all worked together, and it was a, it was a neat experience. But anyway, I spent over thirty years there, and twenty five of those thirty years um, was in charge of managing and and running the the hunting clothing division for Cabela. So, hence the the background, my background, and how it leans into this, um, you know, into what we're doing right now. So, very anyway, cool. Jamie and I met. 10 years ago and Jamie was just a real unique person. I'm going to kind of brag her up a little bit, but it's just brought, even though back then she was probably just getting into hunting, brought an incredible passion and level of insight and just drive and business acumen. And I was one of those, I, I, you know, worked with a lot of people, but Jamie was one of those people who was like, where did this person come from? And, um, so the rest is kind of the rest is kind of yeah rest is kind of history so <laughs> yeah it's been a cool journey yeah yeah very cool so you guys are out in nebraska and i don't know much about nebraska i've been a lot of states but that's one i haven't been to um what is hunting nebraska like i feel like i've watched some videos of different you know youtube personalities and stuff out there uh for the terrain side of things is it I mean, it's flat, right? Is it just all flat the whole way through, or is there actually pockets of fun? Yeah, Andrew, thanks a yeah. lot. Yeah, you had to bring it up. Well, it's it's interesting. I I think you know, being a Nebraska native, I argue with the flat definition a little bit, just because you know, I understand where people think why people think that. I mean, Interstate eighty is the you know by far the biggest thoroughfare, and and it runs right down the Platte River of Nebraska, and the Platte River meaning flat um is is definitely the flat area of, of nebraska but anyway the interstate follows the by far the flattest area in nebraska and you get off the sides of that of that river valley and it, it changes quite dramatically i was actually driving through kansas and oklahoma uh this last weekend and and going why don't they call these places flat this is way flatter than where i'm from and um but anyway, we have a what I would say is just a variety of terrain. We have the the flat river country. We have a lot of creek bottoms that you would swear you're in, you know, the heart of Iowa. Um, we have in the extreme northwest, we have sort of the tail end of the Black Hills that comes down into the state where there's a lot of um, cone bearing trees and you know elk and then um, we have a, a kind of a gem, kind of a diamond in the rough, a place called the Sand Hills in Nebraska, which is totally unique which is literally a hundred mile by hundred mile type area of, of just rolling um seas of grass you know kind of dances with wolves country mm -hmm. um even choppier than that though and um really really unique so i i think it's probably one of the more diverse states that's out there as far as habitat goes um that's I think from Ohio, we can kind of relate because like our western half of the state, it's pretty flat. But then you get the eastern side and it starts to get the hills. And um, we have a little bit of everything, too. So that's I, we all like to generalize things. Right. And it, bring up dances with wolves on another uh, movie front. I'm pretty sure it was Dumb and Dumber when they're driving out to Colorado. And I, that's what I think of when I think of. Right. That's what I think of when I think of Nebraska. They're just flying on a flat road. You had, you had two pairs of gloves the whole time. Um, but anyways. They changed that interchange where they get mixed up. You know? Yeah. So I, I think solely because of that, <laughs> the challenge they had. But it's not like that anymore now. It's clear signs. Yeah. So yeah. Mountains that way. That's funny. So uh, when you go out to hunt in Nebraska, are you guys like a draw state or is it over the counter? Both. We're, we're actually super blessed, and this is something that, like, I didn't realize until I moved away from Ohio that Ohio was a great whitetail state, right? Out here, um, yeah, like, one yeah. of the best. Like, it's just kind of ironic. But, um, you know, out here in the western part of the state, great with whitetail and on the creek yeah. bottoms. But yeah. mule deer as well and elk and turkey we have yeah, out and antelope. Yeah. Um, if you are a resident, um, turkey, deer, and antelope with an art with a bow – is over the counter. 
if you were to want to harvest an antelope with a muzzleloader or rifle, you would put in for a draw. And then elk is really unique here. This state is known for great quality elk. Yeah. But that's a once in a lifetime draw, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. I think if you're su successful, I think you can okay. once in a lifetime to harvest. If one. you're, yeah. okay. Yep. Which everybody's successful. So it's right. Yeah, they when put you... one of being once in a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Right. But very cool. only 400 inch elk are, are very common. So, wow. Um, yeah. Right. So there are uh, plenty of species out there to hunt. It's not just deer, whitetail, mule deer. You've got lots of things to yeah. choose from there. So what's a what's a public land? If somebody from out of state was thinking about making the trip out to Nebraska and they don't know, you know, they're not residents, they don't know land, have land out there. Do you guys have a good amount of public land out there or? No. We really don't. No. It, it's no. pretty limited. Yeah. yeah. Is it? It's what, in this like slow single digit percentage, oh, I think, overall. But there is some quality um, opportunities. So I will say that, you know, some we right. have reservoirs here on our on our river systems and they fluctuate a lot and so you you have the upstream side which is almost always the, the western side that it sort of fluctuates water level wise and has a tremendous growth of of trees and brush and they're almost always public and i know some people have taken some tremendous whitetails on those in those scenarios and they get you know they get hunted but the deer get used to that pressure and have learned to survive in that pressure so it's it's not like you know, they leave or, or whatever. But I, I will say that, you know, despite we don't have that much public land, some of what we have is is, is very good quality. Yeah. And is it high 80s, 90s is mostly private land? Like, what is the percent? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. It was, yeah. but to Ev's point too, I mean, connections with landowners or at least, you know, for anybody who wants to get into hunting or it's, it's an option. Quality's good. Um, it's not, I mean, we don't have a ton right. of public ground, but that shouldn't deter though. Like I would just want to make sure that that doesn't deter from, yeah, it's, from people uh, wanting to explore Nebraska. The entrance to, you know, the, the entrance points to access is, is still yeah. pretty prevalent, you know, and um, we're a, you know, just kind of a, an old school state still. And I think a lot like Ohio and a lot of most of the Midwest is in a lot of ways. And I mean, it's, it's, the days of feeding on every door and getting on land for a, you know, helping fix fence and stuff are, are kind of gone, but they're still there. You know, there's a lot of people that just really, you know, value respect and, and relationships over someone just coming in and writing checks, for example. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That's great. That's great to hear. So, um, and Ohio doesn't have a ton of public land uh, either. We're, we're in that low single digits and, so we can kind of relate on, on that end of things, but there's still a lot of very quality land that we have, you know, access to. So that's good. Um, sorry, Andrew, we kind of think, you know, to your question, we kind of think about deer when someone asks that question. And right. like pheasant and upland hunting, you know, we have some uh, private land access programs to the state that are state funded. And I can't tell you what the current name of that program is, but you know, they have the hundreds areas of walk-in yeah. areas. They have hundreds of thousands of acres that, you know, are are open to uh to anyone to access. So it's been kind of coming out of a drought. So the pheasant populations are not kind of as as they would be traditionally, but Nebraska has some portions of the state that are every bit as good as you know, the kind of the famous South Dakota type pheasant hunting. So and we have quail, we have Hungarian partridge, we have um, sharp tail grouse, um, or sharp tails, and and also just in grouse. So it's been there's there's a lot of different opportunities for uh, for upland hunters as well. Well, my bird brain co-host is not here to discuss all those or opportunities with you, or else we'd be talking about that for the next yeah. you know forty minutes. Um, what does the whitetail scene look like out there this year? So you mentioned coming out of a drought, um, and I know your guys' weather. It's been a lot different than ours. I don't know what the system is or whatever um, from the jet stream, but I know, you, did you guys get a pretty heavy winter last year? Yes. Yeah, so we didn't, right? We are we we're on that line where it was very mild here. I have a feeling that's gonna shift our direction this year and we will then take the brunt of that on, but uh, that's fine um, either, you know, either way. What does, uh, I heard a lot of people talk about 
you know, it was dry out there this year. Is that affecting any movement or anything you guys are seeing on, on out there? This year was actually a really good year for moisture. Crazy. Okay. Really in our, in our like, part of the western yeah, half of the state was right. insanely wet. Yeah, okay. Eastern, they struggled. Which a huge surprise, complete mm -hmm. contrast from the year before where we literally in this area had, you know, kind of six, seven inches of moisture, I think, in 22 or something up to mid-20s You're type right. inches of, of annual moisture this year. Yeah. So it's with an, you know, it, it's never that, that wet here, but I mean, we had we had Iowa type moisture this year, so it was crazy. It was awesome to see, yeah. like, I mean, we've never had a food plot system that's worked very well out here. <laughs> We've tried different things for right. the hardiness and for the, you know, drought resistant, but it, our food plots, our soybeans and oats and everything have looked really, really good. It's good. Really, good. Yes. It really does. Yeah. Good. So the deer should be, should be good and fat and happy and. Hope so. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have, have you guys. Hide though. I mean, the, the grass in our country is waist high in a lot of places. That's so. yeah. So from a hunting perspective, it's made it a little bit challenging, especially with spot and stock stuff. Like it's beneficial to have all that, that right. brush to kind of work through, but it also yeah. is the other side. We're just never happy. Food. I mean, I mean yeah. it's dry and there's no grass. We want it to rain. As right. soon as it rains, we say it's grass is too long. <laughs> right. No, I hear, I understand that. So, um, so you mentioned spot and stock. Is that what the way you guys hunt mostly, or are we doing tree stands? Or so out where we're at, um, we do some tree stand hunting. We have some place um, down by the creek, but mostly it is spot and stock or out of a blind. At least with my husband and I in the area, and we just bought some land north of us too, and that's all really spot and stock type stuff. Um, when you get further east, um, trees are everywhere, um, so that tree stand hunting is is very prominent there this is very interesting now my mind is just like spinning um because the spot and stock thing is is unique so when you're spot and stock uh, how how close are you getting to a whitetail to pull up on it's hard to do that with a whitetail <laughs> okay um usually with spot and stock hunting we have more success with uh antelope and um mule deer yeah those are the wow. two species that we mostly spot and stock out okay. there. I'm wearing my Ohio hat. I'm an idiot. Okay, so why is it easier to get in on them? That's a it's a great question. I uh, and not to interrupt you. Yes. Jamie can speak to this as well or better than I can. But you know, I've 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 spot stocked whitetails and spent my whole life spot stocking antelope prior to that kind of and really just kind of thought nothing's tougher to sneak up on than an antelope. Yeah. And, that's not true. Um, White tail. And once you once you sneak up, they could be not that hard, but just their hearing is their their toler it's their tolerance, in my opinion. Mule deer, antelope, you know, not that they're tolerant, but it's it's just a whole different level to um, get by the you know the the ears and the eyes and the noses of of whitetail. It's in, in a ground scenario. Yeah. I. Sometimes and if, it's like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. You know I mean? But um, those two species, those are not species that walk underneath trees very often. Yeah, like, yeah. so that's also why, like, and we're talking archery, right? Right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, um, and I'm not going to say specific with archery, yeah. but that's that's mostly how my husband and I hunt. But um, you know, antelope are in pastures, and and so are mule deer. Right. Like, so you, I mean, some mule deer can you know, wander under a tree, but thinking, thinking of how these animals survive, there's not, any, right. choice, there's right. not areas to climb a tree and harvest an antelope out of. That doesn't happen. They, they like being in open fields and in areas where they can see. Of course. Yeah. 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 I've tried, I don't want to say spot and stock, just stalking up on some like does in my backyard. And I'll just try to like crawl up on them. And man, those things are, they are just like on it. And it's pretty tall grass. It's probably similar to some of what you're saying, but they don't, they do not tolerate that at all. So I just, you know, it's interesting. You know, Jamie, can, you know, kind of chime in here, but you know, I have some, I have a place where the white tails don't necessarily where I, where I hunt live in the, in the grass, but during the rut, you know, if they have a, a doe that, they're tending they will they will leave the trees and go out in the sagebrush um and you know my rule of thumb sort of of whether i'm going to go out there and try to stalk a whitetail 
is it has to be blowing over 15 miles an hour or it's almost pointless. Yeah. And just to have some sort of level of cover noise. Um, so that's a balance. I mean, as soon as it's blowing 20, you really don't want to be flinging arrows out there. But if it's blowing eight or 10 miles an hour, it's you just, yeah, you can get 70 yards from them. But, you know, we're trying to get 30 yards from them, if not closer. And that's just a different level of, you know, particularly if it's dry. It, sometimes when the grass is a little greener, which is not very often, you you know, you get more forgiveness in the in the noise levels on the ground. But if it's dry, which you know, ninety percent of the time it is, it's it's definitely one little crunch and yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, talking about cover noise, this is completely off topic. I had a buddy send me this morning. He was in the tree stand, and um. I don't know. Some they must have been doing fighter jet uh, training or something, and he just got these videos of the jets going over. I mean, they're and they're low, and he's like, "That would have been great cover noise, right? To just sneak right in there because ain't nobody hearing anything on that." But we have trains that are on. We have trains. Right? We yeah. do. Yeah. I'm just, uh, so we wait Jamie, for the trains. The same to go thing. By. I'm like, please be, let there like, be a train. Cross this fence. Is there a train? All right, I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. well. You guys are out in Nebraska and it gets cold out there. So one of the things that we really want to talk about today is kind of late season hunting. Um, and that's, you know, where the code of silence uh, is, I don't want to say base, but kind of what you, you're kind of focused, right? It's on that cold season hunting. So I just want to, we got this cold front coming in. We are coming into November, December, January. It does get cold here from time to time. Uh, I don't want to go through some of your, you know, what you guys do in, in order to stay warm in the stand. I'm going to be completely frank. Like that is one of the things for me that has always been trouble. Um, less so in, in recent years, but you know, when I first got into hunting, I mean, it was more of a game of how long was it going to take for my toes to thaw out or my body to, you know, lose that chill uh, late, late in the season, which is, Probably, I mean, we talk about trying to get kids into hunting, and then that's, a, you know, you get cold and miserable. They don't ever want to go back out. That's what they remember. Um, anyways, so let's talk about cold season hunting and kind of your approach to staying warm in the stand, especially if you're hunting from a tree stand, I guess would be. When you're on the ground moving and stuff, that's a little different, but. Yeah, I mean, do you want to start or? Kick it off with, and yeah <laughs> we're smiling because we can talk a lot about this let's go time you know um it's it's been a kind of a, a lifelong sort of kind of quest for me to to master you know cold weather hunting and not that i haven't figured out but i, I think there's generalities that that definitely overshadow you know the details um it, you hear so much about moisture control in, in staying warm i couldn't agree more i prefer to use the context of 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 elimination and not not control i personally don't think there's a sliding scale of 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 the moisture challenge and the problems that occur because of moisture you accumulate we're talking about moisture that usually happens when you uh during activity so you you know tree sand hunting is is active to get to the stand and then it's stationary as you sit in the stand and so you're accumulating moisture walking in so that's moisture we're talking about but there's no sliding scale that says i'll be a little wet walking in that i'm just going to get a little cold or if i get a lot wet i'll i'll, I'll be super cold uh, i don't think it works that way um i think that you know the difference when you can eliminate moisture and have literally you know the equivalent of no moisture um is game changing um and so our systems are really built around that context as much as possible about, and the biggest thing, I mean, forget our clothes or our systems. It's, you know, if you're not freezing going in, you know, and it's hard when you get out of the truck and, you know, truck's warm and coffee's warm and, and, you know, shut the truck off and open the door and you're like, holy cow. And um, first thing you want to do is, you know, start putting clothes on. And based on what we're talking about, that's the, that's the last thing you want to do. And, sort of our rule of thumb is if you're not freezing when you're out starting your walk in you're you're going to freeze when you get on stand and so then you warm up quick you know it's um 100 yards there's a couple hundred yards into it your body's starting to you know um generate heat and moisture and 
but we just spent a lot of time uh, managing that that side of things and think that's the you know big big um, win I guess and then a clothing on the other hand I think it, a lot of people a lot of listeners viewers could relate to you know the challenge with rubber boots um, and how they keep your feet warm everybody loves rubber boots for scent control and waterproofness but they most people would agree that you know your feet get cold because your feet get wet which goes back to what I just talked about and but it's not the rubber it's the lack of breathability in the rubber and again moisture and so we also spend a lot of um, effort and time in designing our clothes to be as breathable as they can be and and windproof but there's a balance there between creating breathability weather protection wind resistance slash um, um, elimination and still on having breathability um, and all the managed moisture yeah all the managed moisture again you know because it in that scenario i mean just typical example i was you know i got out of i was building stands this weekend and and um put on some rubber boots because I didn't have any other shoes to wear on the way home. I put on rubber boots and wore them all the way home a three hour drive. And I get out and I mean, it's just, you can literally wring out your pant legs and your socks. And it's so whether you're walking in a pair of rubber boots or a non-breathable garment, you will just through natural body perspiration and, and climate control of your body's going on, you will accumulate moisture. And so breathability in a state, when you're stationary is as important as it is when you're walking in, in my opinion. So um, I, I just think it's game changing when you really eliminate moisture and you go to sit there, it's you're, you know, you're a little bit on steroids at that point in trying to stay warm or that much farther ahead than, than you would be if you, if you didn't. So I think staying dry in general, I mean, whether it's rain or sweat or whatever, I mean, that you can just, it can ruin a hunt if you get wet, right? Um, and it can be cold. It doesn't even have to be that cold. Uh, but next thing you know, it's it's awful. So you, you guys start, are you starting with like a base layer? And are you doing something like Merino or is it synthetic or both? <laughs> yep. Um, merino base layers are, are the way to go. Um, usually start with a base layer, then a lightweight layering piece and then the outerwear for extreme cold conditions that's how i layer yeah yeah we don't actually and we don't actually have a base layer system available right now we will in 24 okay. um, we kind of started with the outerwear side of things just resource wise and it just you know wasn't feasible so but we are you can hear us talk about full garment solutions and systems mm -hmm. and um well we don't have that right now we're that's that's phase two so yeah cool so you're freezing when you leave the truck which oh when you bring that up it's just like oh, it's the worst <laughs> it is the absolute worst um and then you make your trek up there are you putting all the the heavy duty stuff on once you get into the stand or to the tree or um and I guess I'm thinking when I walk out in the cold, cold, I've got my bibs on because I'm because I usually wear my saddle with me on the way out. I don't like to make a whole lot of noise at the tree. That's like one of those dilemmas. Um, obviously, I have to have something on to climb the tree. Um, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics going on there, yeah. as you just pointed out, you know, um, I, you know, there's a scent control element to me. I don't want to be standing there in my boots, you know, dragging my clothes all over the ground underneath my tree as I'm trying to put my, my bibs or my pants on, that type of thing. And so there's, I don't think there's one solution personally that says this is, you know, sort of paint by number to how you should do it. Um, I, I think generally we, you know, put our, our um, bibs or pants on away from the tree and then put our tops on, um, at the tree, mm -hmm. uh, as you point out, I think it's important, you know, you, you, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to put my coat on after I get up in the tree. Well, you need to be connected at all times. Um, so that's not, that's not always as easy as it sounds. And the challenge inside of what we're talking about, though, is, you know, okay, well, I'll just put my big heavy coat on right when I start to climb the tree. Well, you're still warm, you know, and now you're, 
you know, now you're just going to defeat the, um, the wind that you just, that you just want on, um, when you have an accumulated moisture, now you're gonna put your heavy coat on when you're still warm and you're going to create moisture. And so try to cool down as much as you can, mm -hmm. um, before you, before you put your heavier gear on and climb the tree. And this, my advice. Yeah. This leads into what, it sounds really stupid, but this is a very simple concept. Like, and yeah. is taking your time. Like I would get so frustrated when Gary, my, my husband would, he's always, quick like let's get there quick and by the time i'm not in great yeah, shape it's, compared it's to him so i'm sorry, already yeah. sweating by the time we get there while he's like ready to go and it's like no like go your pace but go slow like don't rush in there or at least plan ahead to where you have enough time to get into the stand without sweating that much and even climbing like just take your time that's that sounds like a stupid thing but like you have no idea how much that's changed it, yeah. within my hunting too and why i also like to hunt solo a lot but it's just take your time prevent your body from overheating when you're right. walking in and yeah. coming up like exactly. i know that's easier said than done but it's a very simple concept that it goes is. a long way yeah. you're right like and i'm with you i'm i'm kind of sound like gary but like it's the morning it's like let's just plow through there and we're just gonna go get to the tree and then let everything calm down and i'm not sure that always works sometimes maybe but um maybe if i had a little bit more tact and uh tacticalness moving through there it would help with the moisture and as well as you know not blowing the woods up first thing in the morning so but um all right so with, with feet and hands being the big things too yeah. inside of what we're talking about i think everybody would agree that you know we're kind of primarily talking about clothing and feet and hands or your feet particularly you know i i don't use electric stuff personally i don't know why i just have a hard enough time finding a, a cell phone charger most days and, um so it's it's not part of my arsenal but it's been a lot of time changing socks out is a big part of what i do and um where even you know we talked about putting bibs on 100 yards whatever it is you know away from your tree to eliminate the scent and the and the um disturbance that you're making as you put on your your pants or your bibs or whatever that might be um but at that point i'm changing out boots a lot of times and walking in with a white pair of boots and a white pair of socks and or a pair of almost like rubber slippers um and then putting on heavier socks and then my heavy boots that i'm going to wear right right then too and that's my system uh, everybody has their own system and uh but it's I can I can do the best thing I, I can do everything perfect on on my on my body and and if my feet are you know the weak link I'm I'm not gonna be comfortable and I might be heading home so and I have you know boys that are grown now but I I thought that you know the only way you're gonna take your kids hunting with you is if you pointed out earlier if they're comfortable and mm -hmm. and there was no you know they weren't gonna tough it out and you had right. to deliver on that and. So I think my system is is like not foolproof, but it's built around if I'm gonna if I'm gonna stay in the tree, my kids have to be able to stay in the tree. So it's no. And the general idea, you know, you have to be comfortable in the tree, whether it's you, your kids, whatever. Because if you, if you're not comfortable, then you're gonna get down, and if you're not in the tree, then you're certainly not gonna kill anything, right? Because you can't do that from your couch. Um, you okay one thing i just thought of like as we were having this conversation um so um, we should go ahead and just patent this right now but if we could get a bib that was allow for your like i don't know your saddle stuff to just go right through like easily um then you can put that on over top there you go um what, yeah oh no, okay i'm out conversations on this and yeah we'll just cut that part out of the talk here no it's it's great feedback we'll but, talk off all line yeah rates <laughs> there <laughs> friend but um yeah there, there's there's something there you know um yeah. we you know i don't spend a lot of time in the saddle i as far as hanging hunt and um you know being mobile and and setting up you know setting up fresh and a lot of uh, absolutely been living that life my whole life and um so we get you know we get the benefits and understand the systems not as well as we will but um i think i think we're very capable with the network we have and our own ingenuity that we can provide some i don't know about solutions but some improvements there for sure yeah awesome 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 one of the things you touched on there a little bit ago was the balance between breathability and windproof yeah 
and I think that's a very fine line, um, at least from from my layman experience. So, how do you balance something like that without giving away all your secrets? Well, it's it's really common sense, I think. You know, and we do some tests that that you know define what that level of of air permeability is, and um, sort of peg that. I think in in kind of more common terms, uh, you know, I've worn windproof products, some of the 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 most you know prestigious ones, supposedly industry leading ones, and I would tell you they don't they don't do what we want them to do. Um, they you know lean way too much on almost the you know I think the way they came out, way they were built was okay, a waterproof breathable membrane or a barrier produces X amount of breathability, so therefore. We can have a windproof one that's four times more breathable than that, and that'll be fine. And well, that would be, you know, I don't think that's the way to look at it. I think it's it has to be as breathable as it as it has to be, period. And so we're looking at that. I I don't care how much more or less breathable than it is of a waterproof barrier. I think that's irrelevant. Um, I just know that if it's breathable, it, it it's at the level we want it to be that it's game changing and. I kind of found this out, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like just some guy that thinks he's smarter than everybody else. I kind of found this out the the interesting way. And back when I was building garments with, with uh, Cabela's and, you know, there was, this is the way you do it. You, you put this windproofing in it and that's the best. And well, we're always having samples and prototypes and this one taste in, in particularly didn't have the ability to use that fancy windproofing and it was like well we have to have a sample in here at least we can see the size of the garment and the and the outer shell fabrics and so we ordered all these all these garments in and used almost like you would a like a shell of a i think people can relate to a, a golf wind shirt and use that as the line as a substitute sort of temporary windproof lining and and i had to wear those and test those and it's like holy cow, is this nice, you know, like, you know, here's this really semi-inexpensive barrier that was providing enough windproofness. It was providing way different levels of breathability. And it's like, why am I, why am I just following the the beaten path of, of using so-called, you know, temporary wind and nothing against windproof fabrics that are out there. Um, they do their job in a lot of ways. I just don't think they meet the breathability um vision that we have so yep. awesome yeah. well um i'm trying to think is there anything else that we're missing and you know the thing this is, is your your platform go ahead hit it if you want control. and again this is no infomercial i just i think it's in principle it, it, it's it's beneficial for people to think this way we talk about moisture control we talk about breathability Using air to insulate is still, and Jamie touched on this on on layering comments. Um, you know, on your mid layer, air is still the very best insulator that we know. And you know, dating myself here a little bit, but I'm sure there's some listeners that would remember the what they call the Mickey Mouse boots. You know what I'm talking about, Andrew? No. They they kind of they're still around. You can find them um, on eBay and stuff. But they they were Air Force issue. Um, Alaskan Air Force issue boots that were built for the, the airmen that had to be in, you know, planes in, in 40, 50 below zero. And they have a, they have a pressure valve. They're just big rubber giant boots. Like that's where they got the name, Mickey Mouse boots and way bigger on the bottom and then kind of thin ankles. Um, they have an air pressure valve because of the heights that the airmen were at. They had different, you know, pressure scenarios they were under. But that boot is, it doesn't have any insulation in it. If you cut it in half, it has nothing but a big giant air bladder in it. Hmm. And it is still by kind of old school standards and a lot of people that, you know, swear that are out there trying to stay warm in 50 below zero, the best warm weather or cold weather boot that's ever been made. Works solely on air, air. on air. And that same principle is still true. I mean, it's worth a storm window. You put one window up, it has X amount of thermal efficiency. You put another window, glass window in front of that because of the air barrier, it's like 40 times more efficient strictly because of that air barrier. 
And so we, we embody that with our, with our clothing, clothing philosophies and people should think about that um, in terms of how they layer and high loft, you know, that's why down works. That's why high loft insulations work. It's not necessarily the fiber involved. It's more the, the loft that that fiber provides of air. And so we embody that in our clothing lines. I mean, our coldest weather piece, which I just happen to have right here. Uh, <laughs> no, this is our five. This is a, this is our cold fall series. It's our coldest. And again, being true that I won't be an infomercial. This has five layers in it. Um, it has a compressed insulation. It has a, a full loft insulation. Um, it has a wind barrier. It has an interior lining that has a, an exterior shell. So it has five layers. But more importantly, it has four air layers between those five layers. And so it's a little bit of a layer, layering within a layer, if you will. Um, but, you know, going back to the, the context of trying to say, using air to insulate is still um, a necessity when you're trying to stay warm in, in, in cold weather. Yeah. If no, you, I think if you control moisture and you breathe and you have breathable clothes that will not allow you to, you know, or will main, maintain that lack of moisture while you're while you're sitting and while stopping the wind and you use air to insulate, mm -hmm. you are cheating. Yeah. yeah. No, I I I can't agree more with you. And I'll be honest with you, I was looking at, at your website. Uh, the, the clothes look exceptionally cozy. So I don't know the marketing side of things. I'm like, man. That looks like you're sitting on the couch uh, if you're wearing that out, out, in the, out in the woods. But like you said, the moisture part, if you're soaking wet underneath, it probably is still not going to be super comfortable. So so slow down, right? That's what we learned there um, And on your at the ascent into the woods. That's step one. But um, where website and uh, where to follow you guys on social media and stuff? Yeah, you can find us at codasilence.com, uh, Code of Silence Gear, and Code of Silence Facebook and YouTube. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on today and give us a little insight on Nebraska and staying warm. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we as you can tell, we love talking about the outdoors and yeah. why you know why we're doing what we're doing. And it's been a it's been a lot of fun so far. And uh, we're going to keep expanding and keep doing what we believe in. So far, it's, it's, it's good, 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 good. Looking forward to that. So, and good luck this season and get out in the woods. So, thanks, guys. Yeah.